Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to Lost in Postulation. I'm Neil Fitzpatrick and joining me as always, he thought the earth was flat before it was cool, it's Nicola Volpe. Yes, I did. I, that's why I've always run so much. I've been trying to find the edge, you know. And, unsuccessfully. Uh, unsuccessfully yeah. still, but you know, you, you never give up hope, do you, with these things? You never, that's the whole point of the conspiracy theory. And I have to give a shout out to Flat Earth as being probably my favorite conspiracy theory. Maybe a future episode there, but uh, wow, that one is... Yeah, it takes the cake. And I, I appreciate that. Disclaimer for the listeners, I am not actually a flat earther. In <laughs> fact, Neil, this reminds me of the time that you, when we used to work together, oh. that you went around the office telling everyone I was an avid Trumper. He's a Trumper. <laughs> which yeah. wasn't true at all. No. And I just found myself having to defend this. In fact, it was, if anything, it was worrying that so many people believed it, actually. That, yeah. that people were like, oh, yeah, I see that. Well, like, you're no. a convincing figure. You are abusing mm. your credibility and your power. Famously honest guy as well. So, yeah, that, that probably didn't help yeah yeah well you may have been fired by a major news network this week if you kept going that down that track the seed path yeah geez <laughs> crazy stuff unbelievable no but great to be here and uh, neil let's start right off with our mundane postulation yeah and my question for you is when you're loading the dishwasher mm -hmm. and it comes to the cutlery slash silverware mm in the putting it in the basket you know yeah, the little yeah, basket yeah. where you're putting it in yeah how do you approach that uh okay see so this is a slightly trap question or at least i, can, I can't answer it uh in too an interesting way because too interesting a way because our trap has a little grate on the top which forces you the tray the tra no like so hold on so say you know we have the little basket right yeah now normally that has like open boxes where you can just throw stuff in whatever sure but ours doesn't have open boxes it has like another grate on the top which forces you to put the knives forks whatever at uh, bottom first because ah, so you close you, the basket you can't yeah. fit them in yeah exactly and I never even considered not closing the basket. So that forces you to put them in which direction bottom as in non utensil end first. So holding end first yeah exactly okay okay yeah. straight in yeah and i'm actually uh I'm, I'm a growing fan of the dishwasher we we have one here and we avoided it for ages because they're like gotta save the planet you know save some energy but it just saves so much time and you can just yeah. throw oh, stuff in there it's yeah. uh it's endured for a reason uh, as a tool but interesting you say that because this is actually a very contested uh point for those that don't have this mm -hmm. highly technological basket enclosure as you do yeah uh, because there's two schools of thought Okay. What I used to always think is put utensil end down first. So when you're unloading, you're not mm. touching utensil end, which will then go in your mouth or somebody else in your True. household's mouth, right? True. Yeah. From a sanitary I perspective. Yeah. Um, what I was then told was that actually you shouldn't do that because mm. they're not going to get as good of a clean yeah. as a result can, on the utensil end, which obviously is the more is the more important it, one that gets yeah. clean yeah so it's like which hygiene yeah. factor do you care more about right yeah, yeah. and then there are uh, i was doing some research and there's this dishwasherologist called mm. mr ashley of course hired by one of the main uh, dishwasher companies which we yeah. won't mention because they declined to sponsor this episode uh -huh. um and mr ashley actually throws a bit of nuance uh mm. in into the whole thing so He's a fan of the down verdict, so the one oh. that I originally came okay. from. Um, but he also says you have to think of safety first. So regardless of maybe you're an up verdict person, yeah, yeah. but knives should still be the exception to that. 
Okay. Because the worst thing you can do is get all your utensils all dirty with blood again because you're uh, pulling out knives from exactly. you know the sharp falling onto it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I buy Absolutely. that. I so buy safety that. first, yeah. right? Uh-huh. At least with knives. Okay. He then says that actually, if the handles are up, it's also easier to unload. He so he shares your your analysis on Apparently. that. Apparently. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've gone back and forth on this, remember, but mm. Mr. Ashley really uh, sending me in a certain direction. Yeah. He also says fewer smears and smudges that way. From downwards. Yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. Wow. Um, and then, though, he also provided extra tips. And this one is really interesting because I made this mistake so many times, especially when you're putting them facing up, but mm-hmm. also facing down. Avoid the cutlery nests together. Yeah, so space them, space right, them, right? exactly. Yeah. So do not put all the spoons together because they will fit into They'll each like other and clump together, each other, right? Literally. Exactly. Yeah. I, for matters of efficiency, used to always group the spoons, group the forks, mm. group the knives because I would pull them out and could then just put them in mm. their respective part of the drawer. Wow. But apparently, uh, that's not a good thing. Some chaos is needed. Absolutely. Now, I, I do trust the opinion of Mr. Ashley, despite him being in the pocket of big dishwasher. So I don't know, you know, I, I wouldn't and trust him. all the lobbyists there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's massive. But uh, I wonder, does Mr. Ashley have an opinion on some of the other kind of urban myths of dishwashing, right? I have two more that just pop into my head here. Number mm. one, have you heard this one, which is you should put the dishes in dirty. Don't rinse them first. Yes, I have. Apparently they need dirt to get clean in a way. Okay. So like if you, if you, you know, sometimes people are like rinse your stuff before you put it in the dishwasher, right? That actually will make it come out dirtier than if you had left the food on it because the friction of the, of the action, like the mm. friction of the water on the dish is what gets it clean. And that if it, part I hadn't heard. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Okay. So if you like, if you pre-rinse, it'll actually worsen the cleaning job. That's the first thing. Okay. I heard there was an environmental aspect to the not pre-rinsing, obviously, Also right? that. Well, yeah. that's where I'm going next is okay. apparently someone said to me once, I was like uh, watching someone put something in the dishwasher and I was like, hey, don't you want to, you know, save the planet, like save the energy and, and rinse it? And they whipped straight around and were like, actually, it's more environmentally friendly to use a dishwasher. And I was like, what are you talking? Oh, yeah. We go that And far. I was like, what are you talking? That's nonsense, clearly. And I, with, with a lot of confidence, was like, what a load of absolute nonsense. Right. And of course, then skulked back to my desk and quickly whipped out the phone and Googled, is it more environmentally friendly to, and actually like, of course, big, big dishwasher will tell you it's way, way, way more environmentally friendly, but still there are some like impartial sources that would say, yeah, not a, not a great thing to do to run a sink and rinse stuff under the running water. Like you're, you're actually wasting a lot of water that way. For up to 20 minutes, maybe. Exactly. Whereas a dishwasher is going to use one load of water, Mm -hmm. wash all the dishes simultaneously with the same amount of water, let's say. So actually, apparently, it can be arguably, even with the electricity cost, more environmentally friendly to use a dishwasher. And do you use your eco setting? Yes, always. Good man. 50 degrees eco all the way. I'm proud of you. Saving the planet, saving some money as well. Electricity costs being what they are. But I have uh, to be honest, sometimes when it's so loaded up, mm. the dishwasher, and things are very dirty, mm. I find that the eco setting doesn't doesn't do as good of a job. That's probably true as well. And I wonder, you should double check your salt because uh, if your dishwasher is not putting in the hours, not putting in the solid shifts, 
I've often found you can just top up that salt. Now, salt is another big scam, by the way, and let's not get too deep into this, but you know they sell dishwasher salt in bags, you know, with Calgon yeah, or whatever. It's just salt. You get you it get, like two times a year or so, yeah, right? but yeah. it's just salt. Like, and they, they mark, it's salt marked up. It's just sodium chloride, right? So yeah, but you, it's a big bag of it, right? Yeah, but you yeah. can go buy a, a kilo of salt of like, not table salt, but like, you know, uh, salt granules, you know, salt, mm-hmm. rock salt or whatever. Yeah. And you can buy it for a fifth of the price and it's the exact same. Well, look at you. There you go. Saving the listener some valuable uh, euros. Yeah, on an annual basis. So but, what yeah. do you buy in terms of salt then? You don't uh, buy no, the dishwasher so This one. is one of those fun facts that I know but don't necessarily adhere to. Okay, so, that's what this podcast is yeah. all about. Yeah, and I, I stand by that, proud of that. So of course, like the last one I bought was a big one kilo bag of like Calgon or whatever the, the brand is, you know, Finnish or something. Salt. Fantastic. Paid through the nose for it, yeah. but at least I know it's dishwasher salt. Okay. And one last point, since we're going down this dishwasher rabbit hole, the mm. wonderful world of dishwashers. Yeah. Pods or liquid detergent? Uh, I suppose neither. What we have is these kind of compressed. I know <laughs> what we have is these compressed powder cubes. You know? Oh yeah, for me that's is what that I meant as pod. That's no, what I used. Uh, I suppose that is a pod because isn't there also like liquidy pods that you would put in? And it, I don't know. Yeah, but isn't that more that's for, for the clothes? The, right? the clothes yeah, yeah, I was just thinking that maybe yeah. you don't want to um, interchange those. So I guess I'm a pod guy. What's the other powder? No, I don't like powder. No. Oh, there's also powder. That's yeah, true. So there's yeah. powder, but then there's also like a liquid. I that think you put that in you the little. Just, you put it in the little. In, into thing? the little. Nah. Into the same hole. Nah. No thanks. No. Not happening. Doesn't sound efficient. It uh, sounds like you're wasting a viable liquid there. You know. Yeah. Get the powder. Get the powder. Or the, <laughs> the, bricks. the powder in a cube. The, the bricks. bricks of yeah, powder. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, Jesus! I had you go. told me this was the mundane topic before, I would have, I would have maybe said, "Wow, I don't know how much we'll get out of that." But there you go, we've absolutely smashed it once again with absolutely. the mundane. And uh, listeners, as always, you can let us know what you think, what your dishwasher habits are in this case uh, yeah. by emailing us at lostimpostulation at gmail or finding us on Twitter. Where Neil at impostulation on Twitter. Fantastic. Listeners, keep interacting with us. Uh, I actually was uh, at a dinner uh, this weekend and I had uh, a listener who I didn't know was a listener come up to me and tell me, wow, your guys' point on where to sit on a plane and your frustrations really resonated. I was on a plane last week and I couldn't get you guys out of my head. Fantastic. Delighted to be tormenting the listeners on their travels around the world. And actually, let's come back to the plane topic one more time in future because I have a hack for tall people on planes. So I'm going to leave that, dangle that as a little uh, carrot for a future episode. Little hack I've uh, uncovered recently. So yeah, let's uh, save that for a future episode. Great. I'm sure all the NBA players will appreciate that. We'll cut to a break and come right back. Listeners, welcome back to Lost in Postulation. And where else to start? But you're probably all tired of hearing it already, those of you who aren't watching. But Succession. We have to. We can't resist. It's too good. It's too good. This is season four. I predicted that it would be a fiasco, a disaster, not good at all. And uh, I've been proved wrong, as I mentioned last episode. And Neil, here we are, five episodes in at the time of recording, and uh, early thoughts? Oh, just incredible. And like, every episode has been, in its own way, great so far, I really think. This episode, though, the one we just watched, episode five, is the first one where the credits rolled, and I had to fight the urge to go back to the start and just watch it again, there and then, straight away. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. was so good, so dense, so much going on, so much 
beautiful scenery to enjoy so many amazing shots so much amazing cinematography on top of the amazing usual stuff which is the acting writing direction everything i just thought it was kind of a masterpiece more and more i've been i've been one of the skeptics who are like yeah yeah well let's see if they stick the landing you know i'm more and more with three episodes to go thinking yeah i think they've they've done it there may not even be a landing they're just gonna fly off into the sunset and just rocket ship to the moon it's incredible really we won't get too bogged down into what's going on in the in the season or any of that the reason we mentioned succession is because since we're so into it uh, at the moment and arguably the best show we've had probably since we came out of the Sopranos wire run you might throw in their Game of Thrones as well but I this would, is really mm, one of the greatest I think many shows have met maybe some of the highs of succession but none of, no show has like hit the consistent highs of succession all the way through Game of Thrones being an example of one where at its best it was really really good but at its worst it was extremely weak yes exactly and uh yeah, not much more to say about Succession now. We will uh, do a bonus episode at the end of the season for yes. for all the big fans. Uh, but in the meantime, I think what I wanted to, to allude to is there's been a lot going on uh, tangentially to Succession in the past few weeks. Uh, not Succession content per se, but where we've been able to see a lot of what has inspired Succession. 100%. And life imitating art as we say absolutely and that's and that's the big thing what what we've seen is succession really steals with pride from what's out there but still manages to create its own world uh and not be tacky in any given way and i think that the clearest thing about that was this recent piece in vanity fair actually about the murdoch family mm-hmm. and their succession drama and how nobody is actually the the one big takeaway was nobody in that family is happy mm-hmm. uh and there were so many resemblances to the Murdoch siblings and the Roys uh, in succession. And it even went as far to show that in all the recent divorce agreements of the Murdoch families, there are clauses saying that you cannot use any of the material from that divorce um, litigation. Uh, it can be pitched to the creators <laughs> yes. of succession. No way, specifically. Yes. Jeez, I didn't know that. It's crazy. That's going to become more and more of a thing. I guess the the super rich who surely can't avoid seeing succession now being mentioned out there, they must be getting a bit worried by how skewered they're being on a weekly basis. Just absolutely ridiculed in a sense. It's it's quite embarrassing. If I was a billionaire, if I was Jeff Bezos or Elon, I would be a bit kind of embarrassed to watch it i'd be watching behind my my hands a little bit being like mm-hmm. well, how are they going to make fun of me next all right yeah no exactly and those egos can be fragile no matter how big you As are we right? see on the show yeah, yeah. Exactly. it doesn't take much those guys yeah. are, are human like anyone else and there's actually the story about uh brian cox told it that he was at a cafe somewhere in london maybe this is a couple seasons ago and this gentleman uh came up to him looking very distinguished and, and dapper and said well uh, you're doing a great job congratulations really appreciate it and then he goes you know it's uh it's quite tough for my wife but but it's a great show uh and brian cox just looks at him like what's this guy on about like tough on my and he goes yeah my wife's a murdoch whoa <laughs> Yes, I can imagine it is pretty tough on her and the Murdochs in general. Probably a bit of ang- like annoying as well, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. you could, I, I would be 
because it's not about the Murdochs and because it's, you know, allegedly completely unrelated and, you know, Jesse Armstrong kind of with a, a wink and a nod often says, oh, no, no, it's completely, you know, right. <laughs> not, not inspired pursuit. by anyone. Yeah, in particular. I would be a little bit annoyed by just how closely it matches the Murdochs. But then again, it's not 100%. There are creative liberties taken. There are, Absolutely. you know, new details. It's not just a Murdoch pastiche. Uh, yeah. But it's really cool how you know, that creative process can can happen where both of those things can be true, right? 100%, yeah. And also some of the coincidental alignment that we've seen in succession with the Murdochs actually was written before it happened, if you get me. There was one, mm-hmm. I think it mentioned in the piece you, you were talking about how there was an incident where Rupert was sick at an event and his son had to like support him or something. Right, right. That actually happened after it had happened in succession where Logan had gotten sick and, and right. Kendall had to support him. So, with hindsight now, everyone's looking and going, wow, Succession is just mm-hmm. copying everything that happened to, to the Murdochs. But no, I think actually some of it is just pure coincidence. Right. That's some, and, you know, normal that the storylines would evolve around things like an old guy being sick, which is what's going to happen in, in the real world too. Right. So, yeah, I think amazing, just amazing job by, by everyone. Can't praise it enough. I think the Emmys are absolutely locked up for this year. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing that stuck out to me, now we're going to get to the, the postulation, but was a recent BBC interview, an hour long with Elon Musk, where I couldn't help but think this is Lucas Matson mm. from Succession. 100%. I wish I saw it actually, but I'll take your word for it. I can Don't only watch imagine. the whole thing. No, no. really. It's like... No. He's not a charismatic guy, really. No, it's almost painful how he'll like say things and do nervous laughs to himself. And Mm. then he'll like turn the table and be hostilely interviewing the interviewer who says, well, we're not going to get into that now. Just Mm. super awkward Mm. in parts. And very. we have a character for those that haven't seen Succession very much clearly at least partially based on Elon Musk. Exactly. I think we talked about as well the the trope of the tech bro evil person who's mm-hmm. now become a very common thing in Hollywood. And I think it's become quite difficult to do it well now. We've seen it so much in so many movies where the, the tech bro super genius, I mean, we saw it first and foremost in the social network where it was literally yeah. Zuckerberg, right? But now there's been so many movies, uh, no, not least of which that uh, Apocalypse one on Netflix starring DiCaprio, right? Where mm-hmm. it was the same thing where the villain was like a, an amalgamation, don't look up, was an amalgamation of like a bunch of it was like Bezos mixed with Zuckerberg, mixed with Musk right. a little bit. So it's become an easy target, I suppose. And I'm, I'm so impressed with how Matson somehow manages to be original and interesting and believable. Right. And it's probably a lot down to the acting from Skarsgård, which is just phenomenal. But Big time. Yeah. Big time. And when we combine this with a postulation, Frank's corner, Frank from Rhode Island, hey. uh, that, uh, that he wrote us in, where he said, uh, he asked us basically if we could develop a new TV series that is based or inspired on a real life event or topic, what would it be? Uh, And when we put these things together, we thought, well, that's what we're going to do for our next episode. We're going to create our own TV series. One each. And my God, I don't know about you, but once I took this challenge on and started really thinking, it sent me down a serious rabbit hole. And I just, I actually had a lot of energy for it. I was like, this is this has to happen. I want to see this now. So I hope the listener agrees once they've heard our postulations that these TV shows have some merit in their own right. I love it. So basically what we've done, we've each given each other the assignment of creating a premise for our own series that we'd like to be uh, explored based on, at least in the background, some, some real events a la succession. And then just rolling with it, casting it, finding showrunners uh, and, and doing the job. Um, yes. Yeah. 
I had so. one and I changed it at the 11th hour actually. Ooh, so yeah. Found a new topic. Okay. Yes, I did. Well, how do you want to do it? Do you want to start or I can start or what you do you start? Think? Okay, cool, cool. So without further ado, I'll, gi- I'll give you the pitch for my series. And of course, I'm looking for builds here, you know, so anything you think you can be improved, someone you would cast for a role, maybe you just let me know. Moral support. <laughs> Moral support. So my series based on real world events, working title, Apollo. Ooh. Yeah. And this is a series all about the moon landing, but not the science, not the event of the moon landing, not mm. the technical achievement of landing on the moon, because that's been done actually okay. quite a lot as we yeah. know. What Too I'm, much. Exactly. What I would like my series to be about is the politics and the power dynamics mm. behind the moon landing, because it is unbelievably interesting. So the moment I started Googling this and, and put in something into Google to the, to the effect of why did they actually want to go to the moon really? Mm. Just from that point on, I was completely hooked by this topic. It is so insanely interesting. And there's some great media out there. So before I jump into my own little postulation, I can just give a shout out to two things. Number one is a HBO series from 1998 called From the Earth to the Moon. That's a Ron Howard directed piece with uh, Tom Hanks involved producing. And that's what you could, what you used to see a lot more of, which was like a docudrama. Right. So it was really informational documentary interspersed with acted scenes. Mm -hmm. Now, from the start, you'll notice the acting is not phenomenal and the writing is not great. And mm. yeah, it, it does a good job of retelling some parts of the moon landing. It's a but science class movie. Yeah, very much so. You mm. could wheel it out in front of the, the 12th graders right. and uh, leave them to it. <laughs> you right? remember the TVs on wheels? Yeah, oh, yeah. oh my goodness. I miss them. I, I want to get one for the house. I think it would be uh, <laughs> a nice touch. And uh, so that's one. And the other is a, a BBC podcast series called uh, 13 Minutes to the Moon. Okay. which uh, is fantastic. That's a BBC World Service uh, series interviewing many members of the Apollo crew, etc. And not, not just Apollo 11, which was the moon landing, but all of the Apollo missions up to 17, where only, I think, four people are alive today who walked on the moon and they actually managed to interview some of them. But anyway, great podcast, really recommend it. I'm here to talk about my series, though, which is called Apollo, as oh, I yes. mentioned. So what this series is about, in my view, is an examination a la... The Wire, a la, mm. let's say, uh, Chernobyl, if I can okay. drop some little kind of reference okay. pieces. It's an examination of the power dynamics involved with the entire Apollo project. And it looks at it from uh, numerous different angles. And I've got a list here of like characters who are involved. But before I get to the characters, I'll just tell you who's involved from a creative point of view. Now, this is my dream wish list. This is almost never possible to happen. It's just more my absolute, you know, yeah. must-haves. So the screen, no, the showrunner, first of all, not very creative here, but it's David Simon of, of The Wire and The Juice uh, fame. And the reason for that is because I think David Simon has the understanding of what I'm going for, which is a slow-moving, no hand-holding, no bombast kind of a series, right? No explosions, no background music, nothing like that. Gritty. It's, yeah, it's gritty, but it's it's all in the dialogue. It's mm. all in the words that get mm. spoken and the way they're spoken. And uh, what I'm here to explore is the complicated motives behind the Apollo program. Because actually, mm. it's not so simple. It, it's not as simple as JFK made it sound. And I'll talk about that in a second uh, as to why they were doing it. And it's from the perspective of politicians, from scientists, from some businessmen, some, uh, some key figures, let's say, in the mm-hmm. Apollo project. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I think... David Simon could, could accurately uh, do a good right. job. So right. we're, we're going to 1960s USA, right? I mean, they land on the moon in 69, yeah. or are you starting even earlier than the 60s? We have to start, I would say, in 55 or so, I think. Okay. just And it can move quite fast through the timeline. Sure. And, it, and it finishes, I would say, in 
let's say 70 or something okay. because it, it also With needs to trace the aftermath. Richard Nixon. But yeah, although Tricky Dick doesn't feature actually in this series, I can tell you. He's, he's not his even, dog Checkers? He's not on, yeah, Checkers is in the series, okay, but uh, he's, he doesn't feature sadly, but some other presidents do. So how about, uh, oh yeah, sorry, screenwriters then. Yes. I have two, a, a, a duo of screenwriters. You're, you're going to love the second one, but here's the first one. Nick Pizzolatto. Nick Pizzolato, yeah, from uh, Italian origins, at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah, at least origins. But he was the screenwriter for True Detective season one. Okay, his uh, first screenwriting work and an absolute masterpiece straight out the gate. Uh, his ear for dialogue, his ear for a snappy quip here and there, knowing what what to give away, what to hold back. I thought was uh, remarkable from True Detective. So I want him on board. And this is a, a bit of an outside call. Bong Joon Ho. Writer and director. Unbelievable. Oh, you, you reacted as if you might have him as well. You don't have him, do you? I don't, okay, but it just good. brings a smile to my face. Bong Joon-ho of Parasite fame. Exactly. From the Republic of Korea. Exactly. The good one. He. <laughs> he Southside. Southside forever. He, better than anyone I've seen, as a director, but also as a writer, captures power imbalances in the best way. He's able, able to examine power in multiple different angles and dynamics, and that's what we're going for here. So... Let's let's get into the characters of my postulation, right? So we have David Simon, showrunner. We have Nick Pizzolatto and Bong Joon-ho as the screenwriters. And you think they could gel? Oh, who knows? I mean, it's yeah. it's a it'll be the first time they meet on on uh, in the writers' room, right? You think, so, yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping they they can get some good chemistry together. Mutual respect. I think least. so. Yeah. Oh, it's hard not to, right? Like yeah. I'm sure they've both seen each other's work. So wow, okay, yeah. what a shout, Bong Joon. Bong Joon-ho of all people. So. I'll give you a quick rundown of the characters. And now the point here is that each of these characters will have a little arc in the series. Maybe they have an episode each or maybe it kind of intersperses. And uh, the only the only dynamic I think I'm going to commit to now is that half uh, or some of the time we're going to be seeing the day of Apollo 11 mm-hmm. and the other half it's all the buildup and all the aftermath. So it's like by the end of the series, we will see Apollo 11 successfully completed and that will have happened over the episodes. Let's say it's okay. 13 episodes. Yeah. Uh, but then we will also, in that time period, on each episode, got a bit of the backstory, 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 and then aftermath. You know. Okay, so this is a mini series, I guess you would call it, but yeah. like a, a maxi mini series. Yeah. So thirteen episodes, but not multiple seasons. I think it's a one and done, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right. Chernobyl vibes. Okay. In that sense, HBO, hundred percent. All right, love it. So first of all, we have JFK and Jackie Kennedy, two of our main characters, uh, played by. Hmm, Let's see what you think of this. <laughs> JFK played by John Krasinski. Get out of town. Unbelievable. Yeah. Boston's very own John I Krasinski. I see it. And what I want is a tasteful portrayal. I don't want, you know, mm. in this time and place, so I am going yeah. to, like, it, like, it needs to be kind yeah. of, you know, subtle, which I think John okay. can, can pull off and give it the dignity and the the, uh, the, the height charisma. might be a bit too much, but I think we can work with that. We can, we can have him on a little uh, platform. We can have him kneeling down. This John Krasinski, all. who's been great in uh, Jack Ryan, actually. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen Haven't that seen series it. on Prime. But, but Quiet uh, Place yeah. also. I think he's he's shown yeah. himself to be a serious actor, right? Yeah. So this is the breakthrough he needs. I thought of other bigger names. I was thinking Leo or things like that, but I just thought, no, it would be too distracting. And also yeah. JFK isn't going to be that big a character in the series. He's, right. he's only in the first few episodes. So I okay. just need someone to to nail it. Okay. And Hold then for Jackie before. Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy, I have Anne Hathaway. Now, yeah. You see it because she actually has played Jackie in a movie called Jackie that I haven't seen. Wasn't that Natalie Portman? No, well, no? apparently Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Okay. Or unless I have my Googling there, has... There's probably been more than one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, let's see. But in any case, yeah. I think Anne would do a decent job. Okay. She doesn't yeah. have too huge a role in the series, but I think it's important 
to to at least include because in uh, after JFK died, she spent a lot of time and effort publicizing his legacy and trying to mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. highlight in particular the role that he played in the Apollo project and making that happen. So yeah. anyway, I love that the main arc for JFK is that pre being elected president and pre announcing it in 1961 in mm-hmm. Rice University where he said we chose to go to the moon before all that he was actually a moon skeptic and a space skeptic and he's on the record I think as a senator which he was just before being elected mm-hmm. he's on the record as saying like he wasn't totally on board with the space project and it, ha- it so happens that it was Sputnik being launched in 57 and then Lyndon Johnson his uh, vice president convincing him that we needed to go to the moon basically that and he completely shifted and changed his opinion completely okay Lyndon being from Texas the home of NASA exactly and if you want to get into it there's a great uh, interplay of why Lyndon Johnson was chosen as JFK's vice president Mm -hmm. and how Lyndon Johnson took the mantle then of driving the Apollo project after JFK died so probably that will feature too Lyndon is a character here so let's get to that but in any case so the the interesting part for JFK is like committing to the project committing eight percent of the national budget to the Apollo project convincing the the American public that it had to happen both from a defense point of view to basically uh, Mm -hmm. beat Russia technologically and and also from the prestige point of view of putting America at the top of the world stage absolutely amazing stuff next character I'm going to fly through these a bit faster now Lyndon Johnson creator of NASA, pulling all the strings in the Apollo project, convinced Kennedy to do it, played by either Michael Shannon, who I really rate as an actor, mm-hmm. or Brian Cranston. Michael Shannon, give me a... Uh, he's in Knives Out. Okay, uh, yeah. He's had a few TV series, but he's not like... He, you'll know his face when you Google, but he's mm-hmm. not like a, a big, big, big name. Okay, okay. But an amazing actor. Or Brian Cranston. Yeah. Now, Brian Cranston has, has actually been in the uh, HBO series I mentioned earlier on, playing one of the astronauts. He played... Uh, Michael Collins, I think, or maybe Buzz Aldrin. But in any okay, case, okay. He's, he's more than welcome to play Lyndon Johnson here. What's interesting about Lyndon Johnson is after his presidency, he his health spiraled massively. He uh, yeah, he started smoking like crazy. He gained a lot of weight. So I'm also interested in kind of his spiral as a as a guy after the presidency mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. his presidency kind of fell apart and he announced he wasn't running for, for re-election. Okay, okay. Anyway, one more interesting character, Werner von Braun. Do you know who he is? Werner von Braun was, uh, I have no clue. Yeah. So you might have heard the name before, but he was one of the heads of NASA during the uh, the Apollo project. But he was uh, a German scientist, former Nazi scientist, actually, who was uh, one of the key proponents of the V2 rocket, which was the Nazis' uh, foremost technology that they developed. Uh It was like an amazing uh, rocket that they developed for weaponry purposes. But uh, Werner von Braun, who went on to become a national hero in America, was uh, essentially kidnapped or a recycled kind of, Nazi. Yeah, he, he was taken out of Germany in an operation called Operation Paperclip, where the US uh, abducted basically over 1000 scientists from Nazi Germany at the end of the war to stop them from being involved in either Soviet right. science or the, the German uh, re, re, uh, rebuilding effort. So he came to America in very weird circumstances. And always when he was in America, had his motives questioned a little bit. Mm-hmm. He was always uh, in the press and in, in public life being a little bit under suspicion as like, yeah, but who's this guy really? Like, why is he working for us now? You know, all these things. So also a really interesting uh, character, not least because also he was a serial womanizer. He uh, worked his way through every woman, apparently, in the uh, Nazi rocket program. Uh, he he was okay. renowned for it. So and did also, he keep doing so when he came over to Houston? No. So funny enough, uh, like I mentioned in episode one, once you dig into some people, you really start to find some bad <laughs> stuff. He married his eighteen-year-old cousin when he was thirty-six, uh, uh, and they uh, yeah, and they stayed together ever since. So mm. in any case, um, we're not sure if I'll include that in the series, but there you go. <laughs> uh, it's an asterisk on Werner. 
three ladies that I can quickly uh, rapid fire here. So we have someone you might have heard of, Margaret Chase Smith. Yes. First female uh, senator and representative. And she was instrumental to securing funding for the Apollo project. Mm-hmm. So super, super important to be played by Edie Falco. So uh, she has the look, she mm. has the age. She can. Uh, we, we need to age her up a little bit. But uh, Edie Falco, that would Edie be a Falco. great comeback. I would be very happy for her. As would I. Haven't seen her on TV in too long. Joanne Morgan, the first female NASA launch engineer. She was the only woman in the room in the Apollo 11 launch room. So mm. in a room of like 100 guys, she was the only woman. There was not even a female bathroom in that building. That she, makes it a very interesting character to exactly. dive deep on, right? Talking yeah. about power dynamics, uh-huh. her struggle is not, uh, you know, political power. Her power is to try and uh, be the only woman in a room full of men and to basically earn her spot there and to show that she earns it. She deserves to be there. So Absolutely. she's to be played by Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen, okay. The yeah. Olsen, yeah. yeah. I think a very uh, sympathetic Character. That one came out of left field. One more for you. And we're nearly done, by the way. I know yeah. this is a lot of names. No, I love it. Steve Bales. He was a 26-year-old or 27-year-old uh, operator in the uh, launch room also. So 27. But get this, right? The average age of the technicians and the engineers working in the launch room for Apollo 11 was 26. So these were, by and large, NASA had to hire like crazy. Mm. As soon as JFK announced they were going to the moon in that decade, NASA were just like taking every every possible scientist wow. and engineer they could. So it was people straight out of their bachelor, basically. They were like, come on, come on, Great come on. Great place to make a career. Exactly. And they would hire people and then just let them go. They didn't even interview them. They were just like, off you go. And if you mess up, we'll you know obviously get rid of you. But then if you mess up, the rocket blows up. But exactly. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so the room was like full of 26, 25 year olds, wow. basically. And uh, one of them was Steve Bay. So he was like fresh out of grad school. He actually came very, very close to aborting the Apollo 11 landing. So it was his job to basically give the all clear, to look at the systems and say, it's good, you can you can okay, land. Okay. And he, he came perilously close. There was an error on the screen. He had to look up what it meant. He had to uh, basically had like five seconds to decide, do we land or do we not, right? So again, Jeez. quite, a, quite an, uh, an instrumental figure to be played by Harris Dickinson. Now, do you know who that is? Harris Dickinson. Yeah. I'm going to have to look him up here because... He, uh, you've seen uh, Triangle of Sadness, I believe, right? Of course I have. So the main character, the guy, the young yes. guy, Harris Dickinson. Yes. Okay, British, right? So, uh, yes. Yeah. But he can do an American accent. He uh, yeah. He's the same age as the guy, so I think I it's, really liked him in that. Yeah, yeah. No, he's great. He has more to show, I think, Harris Dickinson. Okay. So we're going to get him uh, We're gonna get him on as well. well. Let's get Harris on. Wow. We're going to get him. Good shout. Uh, last lady to bring in Catherine Johnson, the first black woman to work at NASA and uh, Regina King will be playing her. So Regina King, you might know from the yes. Watchmen series on HBO. Oh, Regina with, uh, King's done a lot. She's yeah. doing a lot of directing now as well. Ah, okay. So yeah. she might not have time for this, but I hope no, she does. I think she'd make time. I think so. So she was like a maths teacher who basically was called a computer at NASA before the word computer meant what it does today. Yeah. She was computing uh, trajectories and arcs for, for yeah. various projects and she was one of the best at it. So uh, there was actually John Glenn, who was the first American in orbit. He specifically asked for her to double check the trajectory calculations for every mission because he was like, if the girl says it's okay, then it's okay. okay. So uh, yeah, he she was like hugely respected uh, mathematician at, uh, at NASA. All-star cast so far. All-star cast. That's basically my, wow. th- those are my main characters because then I have, of course, people like Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, blah, blah, right. blah, but I specifically want them to be outside, you know, because okay. they're actually not, like, they're very important, but they're not, their motives are not that complicated, right? It's like, I'm an astronaut, my job is to go to the moon, I go to the moon, yeah? Mm. Whereas some of these figures that I've talked about, it's like, what were they after? Like, why were they so into it? Why was 
JFK, let's say, so committed to it, for yeah. example, was it part of his re-election strategy? Was it part of his thinking it was the right thing to do? A bit like the Macron situation we have now with, right. the, with the pension dilemma, you know? Right. So anyway, all of that to say, that, that's basically all I have, right? Because from here, it's uh, it needs to be postulated further wow, right? this is this is great i really like the angle the the untold story part of it right exactly. because if you had come to me with another thing about the buzz aldrin and, no, and armstrong no, no. and everything going up there we've had enough of that we've even had versions with ryan gosling which i yeah. fell asleep yeah, yeah, through yeah. of that right so i really like this angle the the politics the machinations behind it and actually not focusing at all on the part on the landing part, yeah. right? Yeah. In fact, I was thinking no space shots at all. So you know, like no, right, no right. camera angles that will be off Earth at all. So if we're going to sit during the moon landing, we're going to be in the launch center listening to yeah. the dialogue, to the, okay. the, the kind of yeah, yeah. voice comms that's going on, right? I think that's great. That's the angle. Now, it's an arms race at the time, mm -hmm. full-on Cold War. It's not just the US in isolation. Mm where how do we loop in the soviet side of this and I do did. we i did think of that so one other way to do it would to have half the half the series take place in the us and the other half mm. in in ussr the issue i found though is there's just way way less material available to me to find out like wh who were the key players there and what was the series of events that oh you led don't to. say from the soviet union it's difficult to get material <laughs> yeah, shocker yeah <laughs> but uh like what you can find is all of the publicly available media that they created right uh -huh. so after sputnik went after they put the dogs in space you right know, uh, after um they put the first man in space all mm -hmm. these things which by the way was uh, a result of Werner von braun's um caution he 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 could have had the first american in space but felt it wasn't ready and okay. three weeks later eureka garen uh, was launched into space but it was Soviets. too risky at the time exactly okay the issue is russia or the ussr was willing to risk human life where nasa wasn't basically so okay anyway uh so i i did look into that but i thought mm, also because we've seen in chernobyl i'm not a huge fan of <laughs> having russian speaking or ukrainian speaking characters speaking english with english accents right, right? so I, if I was doing it, it would have to be with a lot of a full Russian cast, basically. And again, right. I'm just not going to do that right now for various reasons. But right. uh, I did think of it. It's a good. Uh, it's a good build. Right. No, but that I think that's uh, that's quite cool. So that's a possibility. Um, and then you're not having Nixon here. The funny thing about Nixon, right, mm -hmm. is well, JFK dies, right? Then Lyndon B carries a lot of the weight. Mm -hmm. But it actually happens in the end. The landing itself happens mm. during Nixon's first year on the, it's on the throne, of, right? Yeah, it's a bit of an injustice. He, also because it wasn't... Uh, he claimed all the credit, even course, though he barely did anything. Of course he did. I'm sure his, his ratings went up. But other people involved in the launch, I think even James Webb actually, left NASA in 68 because Lyndon Johnson was leaving the presidency. Mm. And he said, I don't want, I don't want to, he was head of NASA at the time. And he said, I don't want the new president to have to fire me. So I'm going to step out now. But then the next year they land on the moon, right? Well, now the only thing is we see it as Apollo 11 was the pinnacle, the crowning moment of mm. the Apollo project. But actually Apollo 11 was just the latest in a series of planned missions up to Apollo 17. Mm. So all of the technicians and mathematicians who had worked on the, all the planning and all the, the maths, let's say for Apollo 11, by the time Apollo 11 was happening, they were already working on 12, 13, 14. So right. in their minds, 11 was just like, yeah, we did a lap of the moon. We've orbited the moon. Now we're going to land on the moon. Then we're going to send another team to the moon. Mm. So I think 11 at the time wasn't seen as the monumental moment that it now is seen as, which was like, wow, we put someone on the moon, you know? Right, because they expected that to be the first of many. Exactly. And actually it turned out to be the first of very, very, very few, shockingly. Mm. But 
then again, things changed and uh, incentives changed. And uh, I read a, a little piece about frontiers of power. And at that time, the moon was a frontier of power where mm-hmm. more than one um, power source or, or holder of power wanted it. And therefore it was contested. Right. And then as the 70s unfolded, it was like, well, we don't really care anymore. Like you guys can have it, you know? Right. And there right. became new frontiers of power like the Gulf and other places right. in the world. Vietnam, so, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think it, it's super interesting that Tricky Dick does uh, play a role <laughs> and does take the credit or take some of the credit probably, but I think the only person, the only president who can really take any credit is JFK properly. Because mm-hmm. it, it was he who set the deadline, who stood there and said, we are going to the moon by the end of this decade. Thanks to Lyndon B. You could, yeah, among other, among, let's say, probably the the CSA or the, like the, every part of the intelligence organization in America, which would have told him, uh, Russia are going to do it first. They're going right. uh, to lap us in technology, in weaponry, all sorts, you name it, unless we get our act together now, seriously. Right. But it was that single goal, that kind of monumental ambition that he had that led them to actually achieving it in time ahead of Russia. So I think JFK takes a lot of credit, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is going to be filmed on location in Houston and DC? Yeah, we're going to be in Kennedy Space Center, or uh, not as it was known then, but right. uh, yeah, we're going, to be, we're going to be on location hugely. We're going to be tracking all these characters from their education, even from their childhood, maybe in some amazing, cases. Amazing, amazing. We're going to be at Rice University when JFK makes that speech. In, the uh, Harvard in of 61, the South. Indeed, 61, and where many of the engineers came from, in fact. So it was, a, it was a well-chosen spot. And I think we're going to be only there. We're never going to leave US, probably, unless it's very... We'll take Werner's story from uh, from Germany. From yeah. Germany. Yeah, yeah. Okay, look at that. So a little trip with the whole crew out to Germany for on location, filming those two parts. weeks filming in and out. Yeah. We get it done. Yeah, because you haven't spent enough budget on the casting. Clearly. This is going to be. It's going to go down as probably the highest <laughs> budget. Uh, you heard about the cast, right? So it's going to be probably the most expensive TV series ever made. But there we go. I love it. I mean, I think uh, I'm very intrigued. I'm looking forward to uh, to finding this on my HBO Max. I really think, genuinely, I got so into it over the last few days that if everything went horribly wrong, if I lost my job, if I had to start from zero, I might take six months and just try and bash out a screenplay. Yeah. It is so interesting, genuinely. Like, it's a limitlessly interesting topic. So many characters, so many motives, people involved. It was, it's amazing. So I just recommend those two things I mentioned at the start for any listeners who have had their eye or ear caught a bit now by the moon landing as a topic. Avoid all the conspiracy theories, by the way. It's just total, total It nonsense. just never ends that, right? Yeah, yeah forget about it. But yeah. I, I'm just talking about the actual proper documentary uh, descriptions of the moon landing. Okay. Amazing stuff. That's fantastic. Now, one quick postulation, one final one on this. Mm-hmm. If you had to, there's a clause that you have to include an actor or actress from succession. Who would it be? Love that. The easy answer here is Tom, Tom McFadden, right? Matthew McFadden. Ma- oh, sorry, Tom, Tom Wamsgans. <laughs> Matthew McFadden. There you go, add it to the list. Yeah, geez. I think that that's the belt now for me, uh, for the biggest uh, mistake so far. But if we take Tom Wamsgans, I think he slots in quite well. Kind of as a politician, I could see him as okay. either James Webb or Lyndon Johnson, maybe. Okay. I could oh, take him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, could, I could take him over the guys I mentioned. I think he's got the chops. Exactly. I don't see Mark Strong having a role. Sarah Snook, Jeremy maybe? Strong. No, my God. Jesus. You're on the road. Mark really? Strong like, is an actor in fairness. That's, I don't even feel bad about Stephen Fincher. It's anymore. hard, isn't it? Jesus. Yeah. So uh, Jeremy Strong, of course. <laughs> Mark Strong is a great actor, though, in his own right. I, I recommend him. But uh, Jeremy Strong, I don't see a place for him. Sarah Snook, I could see a place. Mm. Not off the top of my head. Kieran Culkin, a little bit too brash for this, I think. Like okay. I'm, I'm looking for a little bit more subtle actors, like, like yeah. people who aren't like 
bam 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 let's this go this is a serious production exactly it's it's uh it's not for laughs actually so i even <laughs> when i when i considered having jesse involved jesse armstrong i was like i don't want the jokes i don't want the lols no. here you know it's it's really going to be more long june we'll keep them in check yeah oh 100 not many although there's some jokes in parasite yeah. too but you know it's more it's more Dry. about the comic absurdity than uh, yeah. than just like one-liners you know okay so yeah good uh good postulate of question there who from succession so i think it's got to be tom Fantastic. Yeah. And of course, you have a great comeback uh, from Sopranos fame, Edie Falco. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, and I think she's, she's, got, she's been dealt a, a bum hand since Sopranos because like she was, she was used to the absolute best degree possible in Sopranos. But like yeah. really since then, we haven't seen her smash it. She was in Nurse Jackie, I think, and a few other things. Yeah. But a leading we, role, right? Yeah. But we haven't seen her really like hit the, uh, the Academy Awards or anything like that. So, yeah. All right. Well. Are you ready for mine? Absolutely. Bring okay. it on. So I was originally looking at, at one scenario, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And then I knew you'd come at me with the whole, oh, you can't just have people in a non-English speaking country speaking with British accents, yeah. which I respect. Good. And so I came up with something else. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to read you the premise of this show. Do you have a working title or do we need to postulate on that? We need no. to postulate okay, on okay, that. Okay. Okay. So okay. Hit we need to the... postulate on a lot here, okay. but I'm going to okay. give you the premise. Cool. 1980s South Africa. Boom. Apartheid is in full swing. Mandela and the leaders of the ANC are imprisoned. A crusading has-been alcoholic journalist from a wealthy Afrikaans family partners with a child acquaintance civil rights lawyer for the ANC to spread news to the world about the horrors of apartheid and assemble an international coalition to bring it down. Damn. This is the untold story of how apartheid ended. Yes. I think that's criminally underexplored as a topic, apartheid. We've had like Invictus and we've had a few. Right. Yeah. But never really... And that's Properly already like, yeah. it's ending, Mandela's already precedent. Yeah. Here, you won't even see Mandela yeah. once. Was, you won't see Mbeku, right? It's... Yeah. It's what was the normal, who were the normal people yeah. that did the day-to-day work mm. to raise this awareness to the world Amazing. and kind of create that internal pressure. Huge. I mean, um, sign me up. An, an untold angle, very much like like you with the politics of the exactly, moon landings. Exactly, the untold story. Yeah. Here we move away from the politics of apartheid mm. and we actually shift to that day-to-day legwork and... Is there anything better than an alcoholic has been yeah. journalist? The, a great the newspaper anti-hero. story. 100%. And the, almost a classic anti-hero. Someone who's flawed, who we can get behind, you know. Do you have, uh, are we going to get casting uh, We have, we have some casting, okay. yes. Okay. yes okay. And are these are real people or is it? Uh, no. No. It's inspired by what I'm sure were a lot, but these are, this is a creation. Okay. This okay. is cool, cool, cool. a canvas now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I want to somehow also loop into this, and we can postulate about it later, some MI6 slash CIA involvement. Yeah, okay. Right, must have, kind Mm -hmm, of. mm -hmm. Some New York Times slash British newspaper of your choice involvement. Okay. Probably not The Sun. Mm, No. Right? Probably not. Um, Or The Telegraph, probably, for that matter, either, right? At the time, apartheid for for a very long stretch was actually very much enabled, uh, you could say, by Western politicians, right? Mm, mm. Even uh, at one time, I think the late Queen 
was mm. also saying Mandela, you know, was not the the gentleman she believed him to be afterwards oh. he was on a on a terror a terrorist list in sure, the u.s sure, right sure. wasn't allowed to travel there all of these things so it, it wasn't as clear-cut which is part of the reason it it went on for for so long right and you had this very small but very wealthy very powerful minority mm. running a country until the end of the 20th century yeah it's, it's kind of sad how recently actually it it's crazy it ended yeah. mandela took power i think in 94 and you have to think that like you know ethics aside it suited the the world a little bit like as in it suited the powers that be like right. us and and uk that that was the way things were so they didn't intervene because of course it suited them not to right it was it was a stable situation from their point of view right. and not one that merited intervention to the same extent that like other places in the world like vietnam or afghanistan just of course yeah, all we, the proxy wars yeah, right exactly. at the time got to get yeah. in there straight away right so Kind of sad and a, a shameful part of our world history, not just of South Africa's, but uh, yeah, yeah, a great to- a great choice for yeah. a topic. So now let's get into who's going to be involved in this. Mm-hmm. Nowhere better to start than making this a Spike Lee oh. joint. Oh, oh, He's yeah. had yeah, this yeah, script yeah, yeah. locked away for years. Definitely, definitely. I actually wouldn't be surprised. This is right in his wheelhouse. This is his energy. 100%. And he's going to nail it. Total creative freedom. But of course, he's joined by two allies who just want to be there for the ride Mm -hmm. one with a lot of you know knowledge i think that that he could apply to this and that's david simon like for you of course yeah yeah Yeah. he's welcome he'll be busy doing both of these series but uh, absolutely absolutely back to back i mean imagine that and then i wanted a punchy script i want vibes i want some humor i want pace okay so we're calling in Aaron Sorkin. Oh, oh, yeah. We are calling him yeah, in. I and see it. Yeah. We're saying, Aaron, you're not going to direct this. Yeah. Stick to what you're good at, which write is it. helping to write this screenplay. So okay. the way I envision it is is very much Spike's outline, getting a lot of information from David, mm-hmm. and then Sorkin is going to actually be a dialogue specialist. Mm, mm, mm. Do you worry though? Here's my first concern. Mm. Aaron Sorkin, has he become almost a cliche or a parody of himself recently? In I, his I think yes. And yeah. that's why I would say, Sorkin, enough with this general management, line manager crap. Yeah. Go back to being an individual contributor. Exactly. Okay. So you Just take, do the dialogue. Yeah, take everything off him other than that. Yeah, because I think at his best, he's phenomenal. Uh, two cathedrals from West Wing being the, oh. the, the standout. I also worry, though, having seen like the trial of the Chicago 7, for example, where it's very Sorkin-y and people talking faster than is physically possible and reacting to things faster than, you know, they ever possibly could. Love his work at its best. I hope that we, we keep him on a tight leash, though, for this project. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think Spike uh, will, will manage that. Very interesting leadership style, mm. Spike. Mm. Um, I think they can work together. He's worked with Fincher. Sorkin, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's worked with many big directors, actually. So let's has, give him a shot. Has Spike done TV ever? Spike has done like some feature films, you know, that you'll yeah. find from time to time, but yeah. not Never. more than that. And not okay. recently, I no. think. Okay, okay. No, that'd be a great new uh, frontier for him. This yeah. is, yeah. The Huge. man loves the challenge. And okay, and now we're going to hit the cast. So I've assembled a core cast, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's like my four 
key ones that I know for sure need to be in there, very much the main characters, mm-hmm. starting with the alcoholic journalist from a wealthy Afrikaans family, played by none other than, already alluded to, Matthew McFadden. Yes. He's going to pull on that thick, sumptuous Afrikaans accent, and he's going to kill it. Do you think he can nail it? Yeah. I think he can. Yeah. If he can yeah. do a Minnesota accent coming mm. from his British, I think he can mix in we'll a bit of Dutch in. flavor into yeah. his English accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would love to see it. Leading man, though. I mean, have we seen him, Matthew McFadden, in any leading roles, like all the way through something? He's Mr. Usually... Darcy, Pride and Prejudice, key role, yeah. right? Key, I, I think it's time like... to let him fly. Yeah, I agree. I'm just wondering. We He hasn't really been given the shot at least in something huge. Like, we haven't seen him as yeah. the protagonist of a, of a piece, right? All the way through. But arguably, arguably, yeah, very mm-hmm. arguably, mm-hmm. the best actor, actually, in one succession. Off, one off, certainly. Yeah. Certainly one of the most versatile, yeah. being able to, the most chameleon-like. I mean, when you compare it to what he's doing versus what Kieran Culkin has to do, which is be himself. And no, literally no be disrespect, himself. When you see interviews with him, yeah, it's literally being he, himself. It's, it's literally him. Like, uh, and he, that's a big insult to him, you know, to say that. And I don't, I'm not saying for a second that he is that character, you know. It's more just that he has to be himself and that happens to overlap very much with the personality of, uh, of his character, Roman. Anyway, I think Matthew will do a fantastic job. I hope he is okay under the pressure of this, of carrying the series, basically, because it all rests on him, you know? Absolutely. And he's going to be put next to the ANC civil rights activist lawyer played by Octavia Spencer. Ooh, Octavia Spencer, who I know from James Bond? No, from what? You know Octavia Spencer recently. I don't know why this is the one coming to mind, mm-hmm. but there was that Christmas movie with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, uh, Spirited Away or so, um, from The Help, you would know her, yeah. uh, from, from a lot of things. I see her, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You see her. I see her here. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to go to her IMDb. She's in The Help, yes. She's yeah. in, but not, not someone I actually know very well from an acting point of view. No, no, but she's been, uh, she's been doing a lot of stuff. She's been brilliant, and I mm. want her in this. Well, there you go. Lock it in. Lock it in. We have our leading uh, couple here. Yes. Is there a romantic element here? No. There is no romantic okay. element here, but okay. there is a very emotional element because essentially uh, McFadden's family, uh, and then we'll name this character at some other point, mm. but Spike still needs to get back to me. His family, very wealthy, Afrikaans family, landowning, and so on and mm. so forth. Mm-hmm. And Octavia's family was actually the help to his family uh, when they were kids. There we go. She goes off, gets involved in the ANC, gets her law degree and everything. There okay. is that connection. A little and bit so of conflict, a little bit of uh, bitterness also, perhaps, also, which comes bubbling to the surface at key moments throughout the series. I'm there sure. you go. Wow. I like it. Look at that. Huh? They have to find ways to work together despite their differences. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Their I differences make them stronger in this case. Absolutely. And then we have two others. Um, Jessica Chastain. Yes. I want her in it. You're a big Jessica fan, actually. I am a huge Jessica yeah. Chest. I don't, like, I think she might be my favorite actress. It's just, I've never met someone who's so passionate about uh, her work. She's great. Yeah. G- good friends with both Jeremy Strong and Aaron Sorkin, actually. <laughs> no, I just was about to say Mark Strong again. But yeah, <laughs> Mark and Mark. Uh, maybe she knows Mark Strong, actually, but phenomenal. I mean, bring her in. She's more than welcome. Is she busy these days? I haven't seen her in anything too recently. Apparently, and I was thinking the same. She does a lot of theater too. Mm, like that. Very highbrow. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Back yeah. to the roots. One for her, one for them. Yeah. Exactly. So I Jessica like Chastain is going to be um, 
we need to see whether she's going to be uh, McFadden's wife mm-hmm. or whether she is going to be one of their key political contacts. Okay. I like it either way. I think she's right. welcome and she'll have a great role to play no matter what. Yeah. And Jessica, fantastic. Thanks for joining. And then finally, Wood Harris. Wood Harris. And not Woody Harrelson. No, definitely not. Avon Barksdale Ah. from The Wire. Wood Harris. Wow. I had some... Julius from Remember the Titans. Yeah. I had some weird idea that he was dead, actually. But no, is no, he? No, 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 yeah. please. What Harris? So he's, he's still... I saw him in a series. He was uh, in a series called Winning Time last year about the 1980s Los Angeles Lakers. Okay. Uh, Wood yeah. Harris. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, amazing job in The Wire. Yeah. Wood Harris is going to be there, again, either as the husband of Octavia Spencer's character uh-huh. or as an infiltrant of connection. Yeah. I mean, what a cast. You Wood have Harris. Uh, an absolute power quadrant here. Absolutely. This is, uh, Wood Harris now having having age, but still looking great. Yeah, what age is he now? He's probably like 60. He's got to be mm. at least 50, I would yeah. say, right? And so is Octavia. She's like 57 or 60 or something. Yeah, right. probably, yeah. probably. So it's a kind of an aged yeah. cast you have here. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit, but they can pull it off. Yeah. I'm quite sure. With strong faith in them. Yeah, Love it. absolutely. So so that's who we're, we're going to go on this journey to South Africa with. Uh, and this will be... A multi-season, I think. Oh, wow, yeah. I, I think we're going to go for that. Um, I'm not talking five or six, but, you know, two or three. three. Two or three. Yeah. So where does season one end then in your in your mind? So we're starting in the 1980s, right? Okay, okay. And we don't actually have the negotiations happening till the early 90s, right? Yeah, Between Mandela, FW, yeah. de Klerk, and all those guys. Yeah. So I think we're probably going to get to... Between some background, right, and, yeah. and and the building up of the characters, and if we say it's like a, a ten episode first season, we we probably get to like a watershed point in the mid eighties where yeah. there's momentum built, yeah, uh, and then the second one uh, we try to carry all the way to you know wow. the pressure just boiling apartheid uh, yeah. out of the water, and then season three is like a post. Uh... Could be if, if, if we need it, right? If the people yeah. want it, yeah. No, oh, okay. So you're open to you're not you're not going to do a Jesse Armstrong and say this is the last season. You're going to like go out with season two and then say so. Anyone want to see uh, any more? Right. Yeah. Right. Potentially. I like it. Yeah. I like it. It's a strong business yeah. model. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be right. Don't Hollywood close any nowadays. Doors. Don't close I mean, any Spike doors. is here, man. If we can have Spike for three seasons, yeah. I mean, Spike's locked in. Yeah. It's a cup of tea. It's not his. It is his cup of tea in this case. Love that for any listeners. Please look up Spike Lee, not my cup of tea. You're going to absolutely enjoy yourself. We can even put a link in the show notes. So listeners, those are our two series that we'd like to have made. If any of you have the contacts in the industry, let us know. We might even give you a, a percentage of the of the final winnings. I'll consider it. This is the type of thing that I'm sure is going to happen sooner or later. One of these two is kind of weirdly going to be made, not because anyone heard us, but just because like oh, we'll blame that. No, we can. But a la Richard Nixon. I'm delighted that we're doing a podcast about it because at least then I can point to it and say, "Look, I actually had this idea," you know, before if it ever does happen. So this is good. This is us going on the record. It's like in the olden days, you used to have to write something and post it to yourself because then it would have the official stamp on it of a date. So you could bring that to court and say, hey, look, I wrote this and I posted it to myself. And, right. You know, this is like the audio wow. version of that where yeah. we're, we're getting these ideas down now exactly. so that if they ever come out, we can say, hey, come on. We have the timestamp. Give me a few percent. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, there we are, Neil. If you're happy with that, any parting shots for our listeners before we go? Just 
as you can hear, listener, this topic is ripe for postulation, none more so than Frank from Rhode Island, who sent in the uh, the idea in the first place Absolutely. to cover this topic. So all I would say is, number one, let us know what you think of our postulations. We're always interested to hear. But number two, have we missed something? Have we missed an open goal? Is there some other topic that you think would be even better for a HBO primetime kind of series? There's we would plenty. love to hear. Yeah, and so, they've got to come. Please send them in, listener. But other than that, thank you for, for joining us on this postulative journey of ours. Thank you. And uh, we're looking at you, Frank, from Rhode Island. We're looking at you, Roy, from Chicago, who now is Roy from Cleveland. Hey, and, moving uh, around. Yeah, moving around. How yeah. about that? And any other listener, please send us your postulations. We will share them on the next episode. Thanks again, and talk to you next time. Till next time. Adios, Fitzpatrick. Patrick.